Welcome to season two of the Let's Break Bread podcast. This is Eli. This is my new. And this season, we will be focusing on what it looks like and what it means to walk alongside each other as Christians today. We hope these conversations will challenge and inspire your faith. We hope they will also encourage your walk with the Lord and with each other. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at Let's Break Bread Podcast. Friends, let's break bread together. Come invited and listen in on gospel-centered conversations. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Break Bread podcast. Today, we will be talking about church hurt and healing with Pastor Daniel Yang. Uh, Daniel, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and share with us a little bit about what you do? Absolutely. Thanks, Eli and Manu, for having me on the podcast. Um, uh, as you said, my name is uh, Daniel, and um, I uh, am currently the director of the SEND Institute at uh, the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. I am Hmong, so I don't know if that makes a difference on your podcast or not, but um, I, I do um, very involved and very uh, still Hmong still. That is very much a part of me. I, Hmong food is still my favorite food. <laughs> And uh, I spent uh, the last, um, boy, probably the last 12 years pastoring, church planting. And then uh, prior to that, I was an engineer. I was an engineer for nine years, but always very plugged into the local church. I grew up in Detroit, so that's kind of like home for me. Uh, but then I went from Detroit to Dallas for three years. I uh, did my grad studies in Dallas. Uh, and then um, my family and I, we went up to Toronto, Canada, and we planted a multi-ethnic church there and, uh, and then came to Chicago here, oh boy, about four and a half years ago uh, to start the Institute at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. I also started a PhD program at Trinity. And then about, about 18 months ago, in, in the midst of the pandemic, we all decided to plant a church called the Prodigal Network here in Chicagoland. So uh, that's our life in a nutshell. My wife and I, we've been married 23 years. We have five kids uh, aged from the ages of 20 all the way down to three. So it's a big gap. Thank you for sharing a little bit about yourself. And then this is a quote that we share with all of our guests. And it's a quote from Tim Keller. If the gospel is that you are more sinful than you ever thought you were, and you are more loved than you ever dreamed you could be to you, when was the gospel first good news to you? And how is it still today? Yeah, I love that quote by um, Dr. Keller. You know, the gospel, I think it has continued to take on deeper meaning uh, at every stage of life for me. I think when I was seven and I made the decision to be a follower of Jesus, I think I really you know, understood at a very superficial level the forgiveness of sin. Uh, and yet I think uh, you know, the gospel really penetrated uh, my young heart at the time. And I think I really was um, made alive and became a follower of Jesus at the time. And then at 16 um, was when I really had what I would say uh, was a, uh, an experiential encounter with with the love of God, which uh, if you read others like Jonathan Edwards and some of the revivalists, they talk about how God's love is like liquid love and it just washes through you. And it was because the gospel was articulated in a way that talked about God as uh, loving and not just um, justice oriented, but loving. And at 16, um, I would say for the first time, I really felt
felt loved deeply by uh, God as father. Uh, and then I can anchor, you know, there are other anchor points in my life when I was 21. And um, I felt like, you know, my faith was running dry. And for about two to three years, all the way up until I was about 24 or 25, um, began struggling tremendously. And I began to understand at that point, the gospel with really deep dimensions that was fulfilling, not just experientially, but also uh, intellectually. And so begin to learn about the different facets of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and how it was just more than just the forgiveness of my personal sins, but it was much more cosmic in, in nature. And there is that journey. So I feel like there's multiple layers. And I think that it was probably when I was 30 or 31. So this goes back about 10 years ago when I realized, um, you know, I guess, you know, this, but I didn't know, I didn't feel it. And I, I feel like knowledge is something that, you know, intellectually, but it's also something that you're supposed to feel like almost in your bones. You know, sometimes people say that I feel it in my spirit. And um, it was when uh, I, I think it was short of, it was just the Holy Spirit that revealed to me that Jesus Jesus, in some ways, uh, became our older brother, is our older brother, and we are co-heirs. This is just, you know, Paul in Romans uh, chapter eight, we're co-heirs. We're, and so that blows my mind that like God would actually, you know, this is the gospel message that in Christ that we are made co-heirs and like we're elevated to the same level. Jesus himself says in John chapter 17, that he prays for us. He prays for his disciples that God would love us with the same love that he had for Jesus since the beginning of the world. So I think there's just different layers and it hits at different times. And I think for me, those were the moments of revelation that I've experienced throughout my life. What Keller said is absolutely true that we're more wicked and evil than we could ever imagine. And we're more loved and accepted in Christ than we could ever hope for. I think it's true, but I think the more you go into the love of Jesus and the more you grow in that, you realize that your wickedness and your evilness isn't like, oh, bad me, bad me, you know, like I'm a worm and I'm so unworthy, but it's, it's less about that. And it's more about like God redeeming from uh, fallen humanity something that was beautiful from the start because it was the image of God. It was really uh, Jesus molded, you know, into humanity in some ways. You think of Jesus as the prototype um, that we were not intrinsically evil and uh, wicked. We were intrinsically made from the image of God, and that's what he's recovering. So um, it's a long answer, but it's because that's a, a really important quote, and the gospel is a, a really important thing. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, you sharing that, uh, your reflection and insight, because that's beautiful. I, I love hearing about how the gospel has um, come into people's lives and how it has taught them to understand who God is and to understand how, how and who we are. Like you said, uh, we are not intrinsically evil. We're made good, but we're marred, right? And God is recovering that. So thank you so much. Uh, so moving to the body of our podcast today, we're talking about church hurt and healing, right? So uh, Daniel, what is church hurt and why does it hurt so bad? Yeah, you know, this is a huge topic. Uh, it's always been a huge topic, but it's a huge topic, especially now because of the heightened awareness of the kinds of abuses that exist in the church and uh, some of the high profile leaders that have fallen in the past few years, 
I think, have uh, disclosed and peeled back the layer that the church in some ways experiences the same exact abuse and hurt that any other you know, organization uh, or any other kind of entity or institution experiences, and maybe to a higher degree because the church claims to have uh, you know, the number one source of love, which is, uh, which is God in Christ. And if we were to talk about like, what is church hurt? You know, I think oftentimes people experience church hurt in different ways. It's not always through tension and conflict. Sometimes tension and conflict is very much a part of hurt. So you get an argument with your board, whatever, and then, you know, you get ostracized or something like that. And that that's a layer of church hurt. And that's pretty common. You see that in the New Testament scriptures as well. There's a place for conflict in the church. Paul actually had a very sharp and severe conflict with Peter. You see that in Galatians chapter two and three. Paul had a very Paul was very confrontational. He has a sharp, you know, um, disagreement with Barnabas over uh, John Mark, and uh, they they split up because of that. So conflict is not a new thing, but uh, conflict, you know, often can lead to things like church hurt. But I think the thing that most people are puzzled by and most people are discouraged by are, are there are two things in particular. One is when clergy or pastors are the ones that actually inflict pain onto people. And so it's usually because they leverage power and authority. And so it's whether they say, you know, I know best, I'm the man of God, I'm closer, you know, scripture says, and it's usually some kind of like uh, justified action because scripture says something like that, that I think that kind of abuse is the one that can go on for years and go almost sometimes undetected. So I think that particular kind of, you know, some people might call that spiritual abuse, uh, where it's actually spiritually, you know, it's a, it's it's through the uh, wielding of authority, and it creates trauma. And trauma is something very specific. Trauma isn't just hurt. Trauma is something that you actually store in your body because your body keeps score of anxiety and stress. And spiritual abuse oftentimes is something that happens to people, to groups of people, not just to individuals. And over time, people get begin to wear down, and, be, and then they enter into a room, and then they they automatically ha- like have some kind of like switch in their head where they're defensive or where they have, they're anxious. And that's because either a leader or the pastor or somebody with authority has inflicted um, something onto them. And so I would say that's kind of one category of spiritual abuse. And the other, uh, you know, category of spiritual abuse, or I would say, you know, church hurt is for many of us, we've grown up in a particular culture or a particular tradition. And the doctrine seems very solid, or maybe it might be very progressive. It could be progressive or it could be very conservative. But over time, you begin to realize that, you know, this is actually less about good doctrine. This is more about like culture and tradition. And, uh, you know, there's a movement and it's, this is, I would say it's kind of primarily a movement amongst uh, whites uh, because uh, whites tend to be largely, uh, or evangelicals tend to be largely white, but you guys may have heard of the uh, ex-evangelical movement and, uh, you know, a, a large number of them. I would say uh, fall into that category where they feel like the version of Christianity they grew up with, many of them growing up in a conservative household, 
feel like this was not Bible. This was more of culture and tradition than it was. And then uh, sometimes you see them kind of go completely the opposite end of the spectrum theologically, or sometimes they, you know, lose faith altogether. And I think those are the, you know, kind of, that's the spectrum of a lot of church hurt and a lot of, um, you know, spiritual trauma that happens. And um, I think it's, it's, it's very important right now that when we talk about church leadership, that we have um, uh, intelligence um, in regards to uh, spiritual trauma, spiritual abuse, and, uh, and, you know, high empathetic leadership towards these things. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And then just for your own experience, have you been hurt by the church um, or by people in the church? Uh, that's a good question, my new, yes, you know, um, but my hurt is going to be probably similar to the similar to the hurt that I have uh, within my own family unit, my siblings, my my parents, my family. So for me, growing up, the church was very much extended family. And for those of us who are Hmong Americans, uh, that tends to be how you know the church is. For now, for other cultures, that's true also. But there's a large segment of uh, American uh, Christianity where the church is not extended family. You know, it's a community, but it's not extended family. And uh, so, you know, I mean, uh, there have been a lot of things. You know, church splits. I've seen um, our church split. Uh, that was hurtful. Uh, you know, when leaders uh, step down, when leaders abdicate responsibility, that's hurtful. When when somebody has outright disagreed with me in public, uh, I've never been uh, publicly maligned, but I have had many people say everything from like, oh, he's liberal to, um, you know, he doesn't care about Hmong people anymore because I've about 12 years ago, uh, we left our Hmong church and we didn't leave because we were bitter. We left because we felt like God had a call in our lives to be one of the first Hmong people that would step out and plant multi-ethnic churches. And uh, in the midst of that, you know, we would hear through the grapevine that, oh, he, you know, he left the Alliance church and he's now a liberal. And like, that's what we planted Southern Baptist churches. You can't get more conservative than Southern Baptist <laughs> And, uh, or, you know, hey, you know, um, he doesn't care about Hmong people anymore. So, you know, those kinds of hurts, definitely. Um, but I, I'll tell you, if I have to be really honest with you, this whole, um, but I, I, I have shared some of the same concerns that many others have had around the cultural institution of evangelicalism. Because um, I agree that in recent years, it's been less about evangelism and being cross-centered and being socially minded, uh, and it's been more about politics. And um, I didn't want to believe that until the last few elections, and it just maybe it just confirmed that you know for a lot of people, their evangelical identity is about you know a way to vote and who they vote for, and that's been very discouraging. Um, and so I'm actually working on a book through University Press called Inalienable. I'm writing it with uh, two. Uh, uh, absolutely awesome, uh, godly men, Eric Costanzo and Matt Sorens. And uh, we talk about how the American church now needs to learn from marginal voices, uh, because at least in the world, and at least in America, evangelicals have, have oftentimes felt like we always had the right position. And I think that's hurt a lot of people. And I, I would say, you know, even though I don't feel like I was personally wounded by evangelicals, I feel like I was cheated at times because um, I thought we were really about Jesus and the mission in the world. And I think a lot of people aren't, you know, and so, you know, those are the range of experiences that I feel like I've experienced when it comes to the category of church hurt. Yeah, I 
thank you for sharing that. And I think to add, like, you know, I, in my own experiences, um, like you said, it's, it has less, it has always had less to do with doctrine and theology and more of the, the lack of gospel informed wisdom, you know, uh, amongst congregations, especially, you know, in a home church where people are your extended family. And so it's this mixture of, uh, of family hurt and then people at church hurting um, and, and the disagreements and, and those things all at one time and learning how to reconcile those things with how the church should be or could be or is supposed to be intended by the by the intentions of God and it's always such a murky spot right to to kind of weave in and out and and I think that in my experience the reason why like like I think the reason why it is so painful in my experience uh, when things like church splits happen or when uh, there are practices and patterns of behavior that are so harmful um, and why it hurts exponentially is because these are people who when you enter into a church community, you're, there's so much hope in that, you know, it's like, oh, these, these are the people who will love me, who will embrace me in the name of Jesus, right? Um, as we are told um, by scripture that we are one body. And when that doesn't happen, and when people who we hope and expect to love us don't, it's, it's like shattered hope, right? Mixed mm-hmm. in with all these other things. And for some people, it's incredibly hard to recover from. Right. Some people never do. And that is something to be grieved and to be mourned, most definitely. Mm-hmm. So then with that saying, like how um, as, as ministry leaders, as lay people, as people called um, into the body of Jesus, right? How can we respond to our brothers and sisters who are going through this pain, who have experienced this pain? And how can we do that as as, as gospel witnesses? That's a huge uh, question right now uh, for leaders, you know, because you framed it around like leaders. um, And because usually, it's not always the case, but usually whenever you see deep hurt or deep pain, I think I said this before, there's always a power dynamic that's involved. And so you, you rarely see like the weak ones hurting people. You know, yeah. if they do, it almost, it, it almost doesn't stick, you know, um, it, it even sometimes feels like an annoyance to those who have power, but it's always the top down. That's always typically how at least abuse abuse typically is top down, you know, again, hurt. There's a category of hurt where there's just kind of like general tensions and conflict. And, um, we, you know, um, that may not be necessarily what we're, we're talking about, but like the, the top down hurt. And, and that's very specific because, uh, what that means is that, you know, and, you think about what Paul writes about church leadership, and he he just spends a lot of time. I mean, he writes, you know, First Timothy, Second Timothy, uh, Titus. You know, these are books that are devoted to understanding um, how to be a a church leader. Peter writes about it himself, and he calls Jesus the chief shepherd. We're all just under shepherds. So the evaluation of power amongst leaders is very important. And I don't want to write off and say, you know, the Hmong church, because we don't tend to have like organizational structures. We tend to have family structures. You know, I would even say that that in itself needs to be evaluated because um, to me, uh, you know, uh, this is not true about all, all churches, but some churches, there are certain families that control the power in the church, you know, and uh, some, some churches are actually called, you know, uh, Cho Hmong something, something, and then put in the last name or something like that, you know. And I think those are things that, um, you know, are hard, but those are things that we have to really say, okay, how, how does, how does the gospel inform uh, this dynamic if that is the case? 
And that, you know, uh, usually that means that if you are the majority or if you are the powerful, then your obligation, Paul says this in Romans chapter 15. So he gives an implication of the gospel when it comes to unity in Romans chapter 15. And he puts the obligation on those who are strong. So this is what he says. I'm trying to quote it from memory. He says, um, but you who are strong have the obligation to bear the failings of the weak. And uh, so what Paul is saying is that the dynamics of the gospel works itself in a way that it should be that if those who find themselves with earthly power in the gospel, that means that earthly power is supposed to be upside down and they're serving, uh, not being served. They're helping the weak and not the weak helping them. Uh, and Paul says that he actually, the reason why that's an implication of the gospel, because he says that that's what Christ Jesus did to build us up for our own good. So he roots it in the person in life and the work of Jesus. So that is the gospel. And um, for those who can realize that when they are in power, they're a church leader or a pastor or an elder um, or somebody who has, you know, more like social power than they do positional power, then um, that person has to have a deep understanding of the gospel and a deep sense of humility and understand that they're, that's a stewarded authority that they are to use to, you know, help those who are weak around them. When we get into situations where people do experience hurt and it's like serial hurt, and it's not just one person, but it's multiple people, then there needs to be, you know, um, basic mechanisms to report those things. And um, it's very hard, especially for, you know, uh, Hmong churches or Asian churches or cultures that are shame-based because it's very difficult for them to report things like that. But it's important for us to understand that like uh, saving face, I, I believe there's a biblical way to think about like saving face, but you never want to save face at the expense of like per perpetuating hurt. Because what we've done is when we try to save face is that we, we, also, we become um, complicit with the hurt that's inflicted onto other people just for the sake of saving face. And these are things that self-aware, just being self-aware is, uh, is important. And then lastly, I just, you know, I want to put this out there as a caveat. At the end of the day, even though justice may be slow in terms of how God brings healing and reconciliation and God, you know, binds up the wounds of those who are hurt. At the end of the day, like Jesus himself is the one that comes in and he will wrong, he will right the wrongs. And the Hebrews writer writes in Hebrews chapter 12, I think verses 26 through 27. And uh, it talks about the voice of God. He says, and once again, his voice will shake up the, uh, the earth. And so the things that weren't meant to remain will be gone so that those things that uh, will remain will, will stay. And he reiterates because God's kingdom is an unshakable kingdom. And God is a consuming fire. So God will clean house. That ultimately that's God's you know, job. And that's what keeps people who are hurt and abused from being overly bitter is to remind themselves that as I'm pursuing healing and justice for myself and others, though it may, it may come slowly and it may not come at all in this lifetime, at the end of the day, God is going to uh, achieve justice and he's going to correct all the all the wrongs and make them right. Um, Jackie Hill Perry, I don't know if you guys follow her at all. She's a spoken word artist, author, Bible teacher. She tweeted something several years ago that I thought was really uh, amazing. 
um, and I'm going to try to clarify it, but I, she says that the only way to heal church hurt is to is by the church. Now, what I think she means by that is I don't think she means like if the church hurts you, well, go back and get and let them hurt you again. I, that's not what she's saying. But I think what she's saying is that the, the church that hurts you, the only mechanism ultimately that is going to bring healing and wholeness to you as a Christian person is eventually the body of Christ in some shape or form. It doesn't have to be the previous form and it doesn't have to be one local body, but it's going to be the entirety of God's body coming around you at different you know levels and different uh, seasons of life. And that will become the holistic process that God brings to people who have experienced hurt from the church. Yeah, I love that because that's so true. It's like, that's the part that we had to be reminded of because I think when we meet people, when I've met people and myself who have been like really hurt by faith communities, the most painless thing to do is to leave and never come back, right? It's almost a thing like, it, this, that's how it seems like, oh, if I just never come back here, never go back to church, I can be okay. Because as you said, trauma is stored in our memory, in our, in, in our, in our lives. And so when we approach things, things can get triggered and we're, we're afraid of that. We want to manage those things in some way. But as you said, our healing from church hurt comes <laughs> with the church, right? And I think that's such a much needed uh, statement for, for me, I think for many people to hear like that. That is true. As much as we are being sanctified, as much as we are being put together into this much more beautiful um, intended work that reflects God and his son in their full, in, their, in the fullness of their holiness, so is the church and other people. And so our healing comes with them. And that can be a really hard message to hear, but I think it's important for us to, to receive it and to receive it as well as possible. Yeah, and, and I don't think that's ever to say like, oh, you have to go back, like you said, you don't have to go back to that same community that will sustain those systems of, of harm, but that the church universal is a part of us as much as we are a part of it and our story and its story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you both kind of covered it, but like, what are some tangible ways for somebody who has been hurt, right? How can we respond to our own hurt instead of leaving the church or leaving the faith? What are some steps or what are some things that we can do or think about when we're in that position? I'm going to speak to that as if I'm speaking to somebody who is currently struggling in that because I, I know multiple, multiple people in my lives that do. And you can't say everything to one person and fix it, you know, uh, and then everybody is experiencing something different. But, um, you know, as I speak to my friends who have left the church um, for, for some of these reasons that we've talked about, I think they're, you know, and I, I have no like solution. I think some of the things that are pointed out are just true. <laughs> it's just the church should know better and it's a broken uh, community Um and some churches are better at some things, and then they're really bad at other things, you know. So there's no one church that's great at everything. I think the thing that I've noticed amongst my friends that have kept some semblance of faith is that they're able to separate in their mind the goodness and the love of God from the behavior of the church. And so they're able to 
bifurcate that. For those who struggle tremendously with, is God real because of the things that I've experienced at the church? Part of it is because they have conflated the church with God. And I don't blame them because in some ways the church is supposed to be the best representative of God, right? But in their minds, they have equated you know, the church as the vehicle of God. And so God must be rejecting them if the church, and this is a very real feeling. A lot of people feel this, that if the church rejected me, it must be God rejected me. And I would say those who manage this tension well are the ones who can separate that, you know, that was human behavior. And that was, you know, uh, people who don't obey the Bible or people who have neglected love, even though their doctrine is sound, they have, uh, you know, and then some people are really good discerners of personality. So they know that, Hey, that was more tone than it was anything else. And so they can like attribute hurt to like, this person is just tone deaf and uh, you know, I can't. And so there's a little bit of that, like awareness and the ability to kind of like nuance, you know, uh, the difference between God and the church. Um, and I, I would say, Hey, you know, in, the, in that particular case, uh, and I also don't think that like every Christian is always going to be in an ideal, like I belong to a local church community. I wish that was the case, but I don't think that's true. Like um, I think there are a lot of Christians who, ride it out by themselves or with a small group of people uh, for a long time, if not for the rest of their life. And I would say that in some ways, for those of us who don't, um, you know, for those of us who kind of belong to a traditional community, that we need to give people space to, to be okay in that you know, um, but when you are that person, I think it's important to have a few people that you do trust that you are in fellowship with, um, and find other means to experience the church, if not, you know, the corporate version of it. And lastly, probably uh, most importantly is that when you experience church hurt and it sends you into confusion, so let's say, and here's the, here's the big issue. This is a big issue. I don't know if you guys talk about this stuff on your, your podcast or not, but uh, human sexuality, gender confusion, those kinds of things. It's, it's, a, it's always been a big topic, but in the last three years, because of the uh, gender uh, discussions that a lot of school districts are having, it's become a big issue. And um, a lot of, and it leaves a lot of people hurt because they don't, a lot of churches don't leave room for nuance. And a lot of churches just see everything as like black and white. And so they don't take time to really understand how people arrive at the way that they feel about themselves. And so, um, and so they're very quick to say, but the Bible says, you know, and yes, the Bible does say, but, and so what happens is that when they say the Bible says, they actually throw the book at people and the people take the book and they throw it away, you know? And what I want to challenge those who feel tempted to throw the book away because somebody threw it at you is to uh, don't toss the Bible away and to really struggle with the Bible. And um, because I, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think the Bible has always proven itself to be for people and not against people. And God has always been proven to be for people and not against people. That statement itself comes from the Bible. But if God is not somebody who you can disagree with, and if the Bible is not something that you can disagree with, then God and the Bible aren't actually strong and big, because it's the strong and big things that you have complications with and you disagree with, and you keep hitting your head against, and you you realize that, yeah, oh man, I don't, you know, I'm having big issues with this, but it's because those things are big and strong, and, and they can be disagreed with, and they will still last and still stand, even though 
you disagree with them because they're stable. And when you do that for a long enough time, you realize that disagree or agree, it doesn't matter. What I'm standing on is rock solid. And I can take that with me moving forward, even if I don't resolve all of the issues that I feel in my in myself. And so, you know, those are some of the things that I would say that we need to be speaking to our friends that are struggling. Awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate that, 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 um, encouragement toward having an openness toward nuance. I guess it's, a, it's an encouragement for us to say, like, let's grow more comfortable with staying in the uncomfortable places where the, where the places look a little bit more murky, but we're able to have better conversations with people to encourage people to really, like you said, hold fast to who God is, um, to struggle with scripture and to wrestle with it and to ultimately be transformed by it I, I remember like as someone who had been extremely like filled with fervor you know at one point in my life I was like ah I'm going to just call people out for Jesus you know and that's not helpful for anyone it's much less for myself and how rather when you're throwing the bible at people they just end up throwing away rather than to give people our whole lives and our love for them and to seek truth alongside with them right um it's a much more engaging and it's, it's much more honoring to our calling to be disciple makers right as we are discipled and so i guess as we're as we move towards the end of this episode could you offer a word of encouragement to those of us or those out there who are wrestling with scripture wrestling with loving the church um, in the midst of their experiences yeah i i would say uh that you're not alone and uh you are this generation's version of those who have continued to struggle with how humanity has implemented God's ideal. And we do a terrible job at it. You know, those who struggle with that are the ones and you, there's a consistent theme, you know, there's always a group of strugglers and you read the new Testament, it's in the Bible. There are those who struggle living inside the religious institution they're the Mary Madeleines. They're the, you know, they're, they're, the, they're the ones that have left. They're the Nicodemuses, you know, John chapter four, where they leave the religious system and they secretly go to Jesus in the middle of the night to say, is this real? You know, I mean, that's what Nicodemus did. You know, it's like, I grew up in this religious system. Is this real? Like Jesus, can you give me some insight? Jesus is a friend of doubters. I mean, he really is. If we had to get perfect doctrine right in order to be a true follower of Jesus, then we actually weaken the power of the gospel, you know? Now, I'm not saying that there isn't like true doctrine, and I'm not saying that there isn't, you know, a very specific centered set understanding of the gospel. But if we insist that like uh, following Jesus means this and this and this and this and this and this, then we essentially what we've done is we've added so much to the gospel and we've done what the Pharisees have done. And I would like to say to those who struggle, yes, that's that's what's happened. That continues to happen. And um, I would say that uh, to have hope and to have a simple faith, a basic faith, and to um, to explore the questions that you have. I don't think you will always get a good answer to the question that you have, but in staying persistent and pursuing those questions, you learn to ask better questions. And so you don't get answers necessarily, but you replace your questions. And sometimes the questions that you ask later down the road are a lot better than the questions you ask initially. That's true for those who have strong faith. It's true for those who have who are wavering. 
enduring in faith. Paul talks about how your faith goes from glory to glory. And I, I, I really believe that is for those. And when he says faith, he doesn't mean like your knowledge of like doctrine and scripture. He means the maturity of your spirit. It grows from glory to glory. And your maturity and spirit can actually grow regardless of whether you are feeling, you know, like you praise worship at Sunday, you know, service every Sunday, or those who just say, you know what, I'm done with all of that stuff, your spirit can still grow in greater levels of maturity. And with time, you begin asking better questions. And um, I just want to encourage those who are going through that to continue to do what you're doing, avoid feeling bitter and, uh, you know, and any shame that you have associated with struggling with this. I can just say right now that that shame is not anything that God would ever put on you, uh, that God, I think, in some ways is working to reduce and eliminate and remove all that shame from you. Thank you for sharing that. I think that was really helpful. And I think it'll be really helpful for um, anyone who's walking alongside somebody who is hurt or somebody who has been hurt themselves. So with that, what is your favorite uh, Bible passage or book of the Bible and why? You know, I don't know if I've ever had a favorite passage, but I think one of the ones that I um, am constantly coming back to, and there's some, there's a, there's so many of them, but the one that, you know, for me, I don't know if you guys pay attention to Enneagram, but I'm a type three achiever. So uh, maybe that's the reason why first Corinthians chapter nine, uh, 24 through 27 is so important. Paul says that, um, uh, do you not know that in a race, all the runners compete, but only one receives a prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And I keep coming to that because um, it's easy to do really cool, flashy ministry things and to be a great speaker and to be somebody that people just look up to. But Paul is very clear that if you don't stay disciplined in your life and your holiness, that less after preaching to others, you uh, would be disqualified. So I, I come back to that quite often to keep myself humble. All right. So Daniel, where can our listeners find you? Where can we connect with you? And mm -hmm. yeah, anything you want to plug in? <laughs> Yeah, well, let me talk about uh, plug in my uh, our little church community, uh, the Prodigal Network. We're a church of missional communities uh, across Chicagoland. We started that uh, in the midst of the pandemic, and so um, we'd love if anybody ever wanted to come through, uh, spend some time with us. We're looking to uh, develop internships and and help leaders to kind of think about how to live a missional life and to think about church in different ways. Uh, so you can go to the Prodigal Prodigal.net, the Prodigal.net, and learn more about what we're doing there, or you can find us at Prodigal Network on Facebook, Instagram. My personal uh, Twitter handle, if people you know are old like me and do Twitter, uh, you can go to K-O-O-B-X-W-M, K-O-O-B-X-W-M. That stands for Gongsu, which is my Hmong name. So you can find me in those, those channels. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you creating and carving out time uh, to share your, your wisdom with us. I'm looking forward to your book. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thanks. Yep. Uh, it drops May 2022. So spring. May 2022. Okay. Yeah. We'll mm -hmm. be looking forward to it. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight. Awesome. You thanks for the work night. that you guys are doing. So oh, thank you. God bless you guys. We will have Pastor Daniel's information and any related resources in our show notes, as well as on our Instagram. So make sure to follow us there at Let's Break Bread Podcast. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and family. You can screenshot this episode and share it with us on Instagram what your takeaways are. Make sure to tag us at Let's Break Bread Podcast.